You are listening to audio from First Baptist Church in Fort Walton Beach. If you would like more resources or to watch our service online, please visit fbcfwb.org. Listen in as Pastor Wade helps us abide in Christ and advance the gospel through the teaching and the proclamation of God's Word. It's just been a bad couple weeks. Um, just a lot, of, a lot of sadness, a lot of grief, a lot of evil. Um, it, it just reminds us that we live in a fallen world. And that's why it's important that we talk about the doctrine of last things. And I want you to understand that, that this is the primary reason God gives us this information. God doesn't give us information about the end times to, set, to satisfy our curiosity about you know, what the third bowl symbolizes versus the, the, you know, the fourth trumpet. Uh, those things are interesting. We need to study those things. But the reason God gives us information about the end times is so that we can keep the proper perspective through the, the suffering and the hardship and the evil that we experience in this fallen world. And so I want you to keep that in mind. We'll talk some more about that as we work our way through. And hopefully what we'll talk about tonight will, will help to encourage us a little bit. I need some encouragement. You probably, you probably do too. And so uh, let's look back at, at our notes. The last time we talked about the doctrine of last things, we, uh, we discussed this doctrine under five headings or five major end times events. We talked about the Great Tribulation. We talked about the return of Christ, and we had a very confusing discussion about the millennium. And I know it was confusing because some of you told me it was confusing. So uh, I'll try to do better on that in the future. But we talked about uh, your view of the return of Christ uh, when he comes back in the sequence of events is based upon what you believe about the millennium. So we kind of talked about that, talked about different views of the millennium. The millennium is the thousand-year reign of Christ, uh, a major event that is spelled out in the Scriptures But the fourth major end times event is that of final judgment. After the great tribulation, after the return of Christ, after the millennium, there will be final judgment. That's where we make it to Revelation chapter 20. So turn there with me. Revelation chapter 20, verse 11. Revelation 20, verse 11. If you kind of just take a quick glance at the beginning of this chapter, you see that this chapter is about the millennium, the thousand-year reign of Christ. And there's some information about uh, Satan being released for a time at the end of that millennium and, and then a final defeat of Satan where he is thrown into the lake of fire. And then we see this description of the, the final judgment or the last judgment. Look what it says in verse 11. Then I saw a great white throne and him, who, and him who was seated on it. From his presence, earth and sky fled away. No place was found for them. And I saw the dead, great and small, standing before the throne, and books were opened. Then another book was opened, which is the book of life, and the dead were judged by what was written in the books according to what they had done. And the sea gave up the dead who were in it. Death and Hades gave up the dead who were in them. And they were judged, each one of them, according to what they had done. Then death and Hades were thrown into the lake of fire. That is, or this is the second death, the lake of fire. And if anyone's name was not found written in the book of life, he was thrown into the lake of fire. And then fast forward to chapter 21. Let's just look at verse 27 so we can understand this statement I'm about to make. 
Nothing unclean will ever enter into it. And the it here is the new heavens and the new earth, which we'll talk about in a moment. Nor anyone who does what is detestable or false, but only those, the only people that are going to be in heaven, are those who are written in the Lamb's book of life. So we see this clear contrast between a group of people who are thrown into the lake of fire, cast into the lake of fire, and those who will be in heaven because their name is written in the book of life. So look there in your notes, and here's kind of a summary statement of those passages. Everyone will spend eternity in heaven or hell. Everyone will spend eternity in either heaven or hell. Every person who is a soul will spend eternity in that wonderful place called heaven or that awful place called hell, which is a place of eternal separation from the Lord. And this next statement is very, very important. Where a person spends eternity is based upon what they do with Jesus in this life. So whether we are cast into the lake of fire or whether we go to heaven is based upon what we do with Jesus in this life. And we know that to be the case because Jesus said very clearly in John 14, 6, I'm the way, the truth, the life. No one comes unto the Father except through me. So if you know Jesus, you come into a relationship with the Father, you experience that relationship forever and ever in heaven. If you do not know Jesus, if you reject Jesus, you spend eternity separated from the Father in that awful place called hell. And so that is what the final judgment is all about. And notice that those who are cast into the lake of fire come before what the Bible describes as a great white uh, throne. And uh, interesting, the, the terminology used here that it mentions him who is seated on it, who is Christ. And it says, from his presence, earth and sky fled away. No place was found for them. So it seems like in this moment there are the people who, have, uh, who are not saved, those who have not been born again. And they're standing before the great white throne of judgment. And there's nowhere to run to, nowhere to hide and it says there in verse 12 that the dead, the dead who died as unbelievers, they're great and small, standing before the throne, and books were opened. Another book was opened, which is the book of life. And the dead were judged by what was written in the books according to what they had done. And it says in verse 15, if anyone's name was not found written in the book of life, he was thrown into the lake of fire. So we see two types of books open. One is the book of life. If someone is in the book of life, they don't go to hell, they go to heaven. This is, the, the, this is a, a record of those who have placed their faith in Christ. When I was saved at nine years of age, my name was placed in the Lamb's book of life. Not because I'm good, not because I deserve it, but because of the grace of God shown to me through Jesus Christ. And if your name's in the book of life, it's not because you're good. It's because the grace of God has been shown to you and you were saved by Jesus and placed in that book. But if your name is not in the book of life, it's not found written in the book of life, it says there, there are other books opened. And those books seem to be records of someone's life. And so here's, here's what that means. When, 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 the, when unbelievers stand before the great white throne of judgment, there's not going to be... It's not going to be like Matlock, okay, where, where you have a, an attorney and, and you're making your case before. No, there's none of that. 
there, there will be, a, I don't know why I said Matlock, I don't know if that was, that was not a, a good illustration, but uh, it's, not, it's not going to be a scene where you are arguing your innocence, because there will be a book open with your deeds clearly spelled out. And when you stand before a holy Christ and you see your deeds written down in that book, it will be very, very clear that you are guilty. There will be no arguing at the great white throne of judgment. Your, your, your sin will be clearly delineated. It's almost as if there is a, a, a record of your failings right there at the great white throne of judgment. You say, that sounds awful. It is. That's why we want to be forgiven of our, of our deeds, right? We want to be forgiven of our shortcomings. We want to be forgiven of our sins. We don't have to experience this one day. But those who, who reject Christ will stand before the great white throne of judgment, and books will be opened, and it says there that uh, they will be judged, verse 12, according to what they had done. So, uh, again, there will be no argument. This sin will cause them to be separated from God forever and ever. And it says there um, that God, verse 14, destroys death in Hades, throws them into the lake of fire. The last enemy is death, the Bible says. Um, and if anyone's name was not found written in the book of life, he was thrown into the lake of fire, which is where Satan was thrown. We don't know exactly what the lake of fire entails, but it does not sound pleasant, does it? In the Gospels, Jesus talks about this 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 final abode of the unbeliever. And he uses phrases like, uh, this place is where the worm does not die. Place of, a place of darkness, a place of torment, a place of God's uh, unending wrath. And so that is the second death, the lake of fire, that awful place called hell. And that is the destination of all of those who do not know Jesus Christ as their personal Lord and Savior. But the good news is, we're all sinners. God loves us. We don't have to go to hell. Isn't that good news? We can go to heaven if we embrace His forgiveness through His Son, Jesus Christ. So where a person spends eternity is based upon what they do with Jesus in this uh, life. So hopefully this passage uh, helps you to understand how sober that day will be. You know, I've heard people say things like this. Boy, when I, you know, when I, you know, I'm, if I go to hell, I'm going to party with my buddies. You ever heard somebody say that? I'm going to live it up. Like, that's not what's happening here. People are thrown into a lake of eternal fire for rejecting Christ and for their sin. And it, it's not a big party uh, it, there's, not a, there's not a discussion taking place. No one's arguing their innocence. It is, at that point, too late. And you will forever be separated from God. And so this is final judgment. Those who do not know Christ, books are open, judge according to their sins. Those who do know Christ, another book is open. The name is in the Lamb's Book of Life. You want your name in that book. So that is the doctrine of final judgment. More we could say about that. But let's go to number five. Uh, just one quick thing about judgment, uh, and I, sh- I shared this a-, a ways back in one of our other discussions, but uh, Christians do not have to worry about standing before the great white throne of judgment. Okay, This is for unbelievers. Um, but the Bible does speak in 2 Corinthians 5 of the judgment seat of Christ, which is for believers. And this is not, um, this is not in reference to whether, where you spend eternity. If you're a Christian, you're going to heaven when you die. Your name is in the Lamb's Book of Life. The judgment seat of Christ is in, is in reference to how you lived your Christian life. 
what kind of steward you were of, of the, the gifts and the blessings God has given you. Were you a faithful steward? Were you, were you a faithful follower of Christ? And there will be rewards at that moment at the judgment seat of Christ. But again, that's for believers, and it's not a reference to heaven and hell. It's a, it's a time for the Lord to, um, to reward those who have been faithful in their Christian life here on this earth. But this passage is the great white throne of judgment. So final judgment is coming. It is going to happen. That's where everything is heading. Which again, just a kind of a quick reminder, that's why, we, that's why we do missions. That's why we talk about our one. That's why we you know, invite people to church. That's why we you know, share the good news, share the gospel. Because we want people to have their name written in the Lamb's book of life. And uh, be ready for that day of judgment. But number five, after the great tribulation, after the return of Christ, after the millennium, after final judgment, there will be a new heavens and a new earth. New heavens and a new earth. I'm going to make about six statements about that, and, uh, and then we'll transition into our prayer time. Um, but it, it comes mostly from Revelation chapter 21. So let me just kind of walk you through these statements, and, uh, and, and, and we'll look at the accompanying scriptures. First of all, the present heavens and the present earth will come to an end. That's what we're experiencing now. Present heavens, present earth. And God will usher in new heavens and a new earth. And look what it says there in verse 1 of chapter 21. Then, after the great white throne of judgment, I saw a new heaven and a new earth. Why? For the first heaven and the first earth had passed away, and the sea was no more. The present heavens, the present earth will come to an end, and God will usher in a new heavens and a new earth. Now, you need to understand, this is just if you're doing some further reading here, that there is some scholarly discussion about the nature of the the current heavens and earth passing away and the new heavens and new earth being ushered in. And the discussion uh, really deals with this issue. Is the, does the passing away, uh, mentioned there in verse 1, does it speak of a complete passing away? Like the, the current heavens and earth are completely dissolved, completely done away with, and then a new heavens and new earth are put into that, that place? Or does it mean that the, the old will be renewed? Uh, and, and, um, and become the new heavens and the new earth. Sort of like, uh, scholars would argue, like our bodies. We, we're in old, uh, our old uh, bodies uh, riddled with sin, uh, imperfect, uh, perishable, mortal. But when they are raised, they will be raised brand new, glorified, imperishable, immortal. And so our bodies will be renewed. There will be some continuity between our old and our new, but we'll have brand new bodies. And some scholars believe there'll be continuity between the old and the new, but the, the creation will be renewed uh, by the power of God. So it'll be a new heavens and a new earth, a glorified heavens and a glorified earth. So that is, that is the discussion. Uh, scholars bring to account passages like Romans 8, uh, 2 Peter 3, and it really, deter- it really hinges on what you believe the phrase passed away means. Does it mean passed away in its current form, and was renewed or completely dissolved, and God brought in the new heavens and the new earth. And so let's vote. All right? So how many believe that passed away means the current heavens and earth will completely dissolve 
and there'll be a new heavens, new earth put into its place. Just raise your hand. Just on that one. Okay. How many believe that passed away means heavens and earth in, the, in its current form will be renewed into a new heaven and new earth? Raise your hand. Raise them on that. Okay. How many say, I have no idea, but I'm glad I'm going? Okay, right. Okay, there you go. All right. So it's an interesting discussion. You can, you can look at different passages. Um, one, of the, one of the discussions revolves around 2 Peter 3.10. Uh, one of the, the word that's used in some of the older translations is the word burned up. The old heavens and old earth will be burned up. But there's some scholarly debate. Does that word really mean burned up? Some of the older manuscripts have a different word. And so, there, again, there's a lot of discussion on it. But here's what you need to understand. However it happens, when the dust settles, there will be a new heavens and a new earth. Everybody got that? And it's going to be good. Okay? It's going to be good. And so um, that is part of what God will do. He will usher in the new heavens and the new earth. Um, the new heavens and new earth will be majestic. It's, it's going to be breathtaking. Look what it says uh, in verse 9 of chapter 21. Chapter 21, verse 9. The new heavens and new earth will be majestic. Then came one of the seven angels who had the seven bowls full of the seven last plagues and spoke to me, saying, Come, I will show you the bride, the wife of the Lamb, that speaks of the church. He carried me away in the spirit to a great, great high mountain and showed me the holy city Jerusalem coming down out of heaven from God. This is the new Jerusalem, all right? Coming down out of heaven from God. Having the glory of God, its radiance like a most rare jewel, like a, a jasper clears crystal. It had great high wall, uh, a great high wall with 12 gates and the gates at the gates 12 angels. And on the gates the names of the 12 tribes of the sons of Israel were inscribed. On the east, three gates. On the north, three gates. On the south, three gates. On the west, three gates. The wall of the city had 12 foundations, and on them were the 12 names of the 12 apostles of the Lamb. The one who spoke with me had a measuring rod of gold to measure the city and its gates and walls. The city lies four square, its lengths, its length the same as its width. The, and he measured the city with his rod, 12,000 stadia. Its length and width and height are equal. So it's kind of a cube-type uh, arrangement. Um, he measured its wall 144 cubits by human measurement, which is also an angel's measurement. The wall was built of jasper, while the city was pure gold like clear glass. The foundations of the wall of the city were adorned with every kind of jewel. The first was jasper, the second sapphire, the third agate, the fourth emerald, the fifth onyx, the sixth carnelian, the seventh chrysolite, the eighth beryl, the ninth topaz, the tenth uh, chrysoprase, the eleventh jacinth, the twelfth amethyst. And the twelve gates were twelve pearls, each of the gates made of a single pearl. Think about that, a gate made of just one pearl. Pretty impressive. And the street of the city was pure gold like transparent glass. So now, this is just talking about the new Jerusalem, which will be the centerpiece of the new heavens and new earth. We haven't even gotten to the rest of the stuff. We're just talking about the centerpiece, just the new Jerusalem. This city is going to be just astounding in its beauty. I mean, it's going to be breathtaking. I mean, you're talking about streets of gold. How cool will that be? And, and it's, it's a gold that's so pure, it's, it's as if it is transparent. Then in verse 22 it says, I saw no temple in the city, for its temple is the Lord God the Almighty and the Lamb. And the city has no need of sun or moon to shine on it, for the glory of God gives its light, and its lamp is the Lamb. By its light will the nations walk. Uh, I believe in heaven, part of heaven is going to be that 
that people maintain their ethnic cultural identities. And we will celebrate the great diversity of all those who have come to Christ and been saved. People from every tribe, every tongue, every nation. Um, And the kings of the earth will bring their glory into it. So this indicates that the gates of the city will be open and people will be coming and going into this city. And so that means they'll be coming and going from the rest of the new heavens and new earth into the new Jerusalem. So there's going to be, there's going to be people coming in and out. There will be no night uh, there. They will bring into it the glory and honor of the nations. And so again, new Jerusalem, incredible city, jewels, gates of pearl, streets of gold... Uh, cube-like form brought down from heaven to the new heavens and the new earth, and people will be coming and going into this new city. Now, I believe that means that uh, we will have eternity to, to explore, to enjoy the rest of the creation, the new heavens and new earth. And, and we'll be able to inhabit the new heavens and new earth I'm together. More about that in a moment. But the new heavens, new earth will be majestic. Make no mistake, it will be incredible. And this is just this is just John's best effort to describe what he's seeing. Remember, he has this vision of the unfolding end times, and John's just trying to do his best to describe it. And 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 words fall short. And if his words are impressive, but just imagine how impressive the real thing will. Uh, be. But here's the third truth about the new heavens and new earth. Christ's followers will inhabit the new heavens and new earth in their glorified uh, bodies. Will inhabit the new heavens and new earth in our uh, glorified bodies. Nothing unclean will ever enter into it, nor anyone who does what is detestable or false, but only those who are written in the Lamb's book of life. So if your name is in the Lamb's book of life, even though you've sinned and done detestable things, you've been forgiven. So now... Because you've been forgiven by Jesus, the blood of Jesus has washed away your sins. Your name is in the book of life. Now, that is your passport to come and go into the new Jerusalem and to inhabit the new heavens and the new earth. And we will, we will inhabit the new heavens and new earth in our glorified bodies. We talked a lot about that a few weeks ago, about um, our old bodies being placed in the ground decaying, but when Jesus comes back, he'll raise our bodies. There'll be brand new bodies. At that moment, our soul will be reunited with our bodies. We'll live in those glorified bodies forever and ever and ever and ever and ever. And that will be pretty awesome. Next, the new heavens and new earth will be the setting for our inter- eternal enjoyment of God's presence. Our eternal enjoyment of God's presence. Now back up in chapter 21 to verse 2. I saw the holy city, New Jerusalem, coming down out of heaven from God, prepared as a bride adorned for her husband. And I heard a loud voice from the throne saying, Behold, the dwelling place of God is with man. He will dwell with them. And they will be his people, and God himself will be with them as their God. Incredible, incredible statement. And look in chapter 22, verse 1. The angel showed me the river of the water of life, brightest crystal flowing from the throne of God and of the Lamb through the middle of the street of the city. Also on the other side of the river, the tree of life with its twelve kinds of fruit yielding its fruit each month. The leaves of the tree were for the healing of the nations. No longer will there be anything accursed 
but the throne of God and of the Lamb will be in it, and his servants will worship him. They will see his face. They will see his face. You see that? They will see his face. Don't, don't, just, don't just skip over it. They will see his face, and his name will be on their foreheads, and night will be no more. They will need no light or lamp or sun, for the Lord God will be their light, and they will reign forever and ever. That speaks of those who are Christians in the Lamb's Book of Life, we get to see His face. We get to, to be with our God. We get to be with our Savior. Our faith will become sight. And we will, in the setting of the new heavens and new earth, eternally enjoy God's presence. And uh, that is something for us all to look forward to. But there's another statement I need to make here. And this brings us back to the, the suffering Um, the evil that we experience in this world. The coming reality of the new heavens and new earth help us to process suffering and evil. Let me say it again. The coming reality of the new heavens and the new earth help us to process suffering and evil. Now back up to chapter 21, verse 4. I'm going to show you what happens when this when uh, this new Jerusalem comes down out of heaven and God ushers in the new heavens and new earth. You can't imagine how amazing that will be. It says, He will wipe every tear from their eyes. And death shall be no more. Amen? Death shall be no more. Neither shall there be mourning nor crying nor pain anymore, for the former things have passed away. And so that means that in heaven, God will, will, will comfort us, will renew us, will refresh us with His presence and wipe every tear from our, uh, from our eyes. And so we can look forward to that day. As long as we live in this world, and, and, and I, don't, I, don't, I don't enjoy weeks like this week and weeks like last week. It's been, a, it's been a tough couple of weeks. But we do need to be reminded this world is not our home. Amen? The world's not our home. And as long as we live in this world, as long as we're traveling through this world, pilgrims passing through... We live in a fallen world. It's going to be difficult. It's going to be hard. There's going to be evil. There's going to be suffering. There's going to be pain. But aren't you glad that this earth is not all that there is? This life is not all that there is. We, as Christians, look beyond this, even beyond death itself, to this moment when we will be resurrected, and we get to be in the new heavens and the new earth. And so that helps us to put our suffering in its proper perspective and process it and look forward to this day. So the coming reality of the new heavens and the new earth help us to process suffering and evil, which leads to the last thought. And I'll take a couple quick questions and then we'll pray. We eagerly anticipate a day when God will set everything right. We eagerly anticipate a day when when God will set everything right. When Jesus comes back, he comes back as a warrior. You can read about that earlier in the book of Revelation. Revelation chapter 19. He's coming to overthrow evil. He's coming to set up his kingdom. And after the millennial reign, after the final judgment, he will set up our eternal dwelling place, the new heavens and 
the new earth. And it says there in verse 5, and oh, how I love this verse. Maybe my favorite verse in the book of Revelation. He who was seated on the throne said, Behold, I am making all things new. Don't you like that? I am making all things new. Jesus is coming back to make everything new. He's coming back to renew a fallen creation and, and help us to enjoy a perfect heaven and a perfect new earth for all of eternity. So we anticipate that day when God will set everything right. And notice there in verse 20, if you're in the, I'm sorry, verse 27 of chapter 21, if you're in the Lamb's book of life, you get into the new heavens and new earth. But if you're not in the Lamb's book of life, look what it says. Nothing unclean will ever enter it, nor anyone who does what is detestable or false. So there won't be any evil in the new heavens and new earth. Satan will be in the lake of fire. Our sin nature will be eradicated. So we won't be, we won't be tempted by the ways of the world. We won't be tempted or attacked by Satan. We won't be lured by our own sinful lust and weaknesses. There will be nothing uh, unclean, nothing evil in the new heavens and new earth. It will be a place of perfection. And what a day that will be. Which leads to the final verse I want you to see in verse 20. We're doing this really quick, but look in verse 20 of chapter 22. So John's seeing all this, right? John's seeing all this. And in verse 20, it says, He who testifies these things says, Surely I am coming soon. So the Lord reminds him, this is coming. My, this day is coming. And John says, Amen. Come, Lord Jesus. He's anticipating that day. Now, just to remind you that that the presence of evil is nothing new. I want to remind you of the overall context of the book of Revelation. Do you remember that the first messages that the Lord gives in the book of Revelation is to seven churches? Remember that? Scattered throughout Asia Minor. And if you read about those churches throughout Asia Minor, they were suffering. They were being persecuted. Uh, they were going through great difficulty for their uh, faith in Jesus Christ. They were a minority in the Roman Empire. Uh, I mean, it was a tough, tough setting for the church to live in. And so Jesus keeps saying things in chapters 2 and 3 of Revelation. He's saying, overcome. You know, uh, there, there's reward for those who overcome, for those who persevere. And so John is thinking about the hardship. He's thinking about the evil. He's thinking about... You know, all of the detestable things that the church was living through in the first century. And in, the, in, the, in, that, in that mindset of all the hardship that the Christians were going through, he says, Come, Lord Jesus. Which should be our response, right? Because we experience hard things. We experience evil. We experience suffering. And, and all of that should make us say, Come, Lord Jesus. Jesus, you know, when you hear news like we heard last night about the school in, in Texas, I mean, what else can you say other than come, Lord Jesus, right? Comfort those families, bind up their brokenness, you know, and come, Lord Jesus. I mean, bring an end to, to all of this madness that we are living in uh, right now. And so Christians should anticipate a day when God will come back and set everything 
everything right. And just by the way, remember, all of this, New Heavens and New Earth, comes after the great white throne of judgment. Which means, and this is important, no one gets away with anything. Right? No one gets away with anything. There will be an accounting for those who are in their sins, who do not know Christ. They will give an account for their evil, for their sin. So we anticipate a day when God will set everything right. And so that's just a very quick look at the end times events, great tribulation, return of Christ, millennium, final judgment, and then the new heavens and the new earth. Those are things that we can look forward to as Christians. And to, you know, to boil it all down, to boil it all down, when the dust settles on human history, you will want to know Jesus. Because if you know Jesus, you're on the winning team. Amen? And that's the bottom line. Thank you for listening. We pray you've been encouraged and inspired by God's Word. May the Lord richly bless you.